0: Welcome to the Harvest Seymour Podcast. Come check us out and see how God is moving in this community. If you would like to know more, check out our Facebook page, or you can visit us at hcfseymour.org. Have a wonderful day. Uh, just, just in uh, in brief, I can't get into it too much this morning. But whenever this morning I was talking about a, a shifting of seasons, well, we are on the edge of just really a new season in the Lord altogether. I mean, and I'm not just talking about us locally. I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. And so we're about to move into 20, the year 2020. And um, according, and I don't like spending a lot of time on this kind of thing, uh, but I think it's important for us to get an idea of what the Lord is doing so the Jewish holiday, uh, uh, New Year's, was just a few weekends ago. The last weekend of, uh, of uh, September, it was Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of, of the new season. And so uh, the year 5780, according to the Jewish calendar. And, and I say, just hang with me. I'm not going to go here long. But, but God is doing something unique in the earth. And you, there's not a better time to be alive in the kingdom of God. I mean, the, what we're going to see God do over the next season of time will blow your mind. I think we'll see some of the greatest acts of the Lord, and uh, that that we've ever seen. You know, you know, to see the the way the scriptures read. You know, as the time approaches for His return, things get darker and darker. And sometimes, as believers, we get so consumed with the darkness. But at the same time, what we're going to see is the light's going to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And so so what the Lord's going to be doing in this next season of of time in in the life of not only this church, but in the body of Christ at large is massive. Having said that, I think uh, one of the things that I just wanted to communicate early and for you guys to be expectant of is that um, that as as the um, the year 2020 approaches, that we're going to be laying out what we believe to be the fresh vision of the Lord uh, for our body. Uh, and um, and so we're not talking about it today, but I just wanted to communicate that it is coming and it'll probably right around the months of February. Um, and so we're going to be taking the riches of our past and building upon it in order to step into our future. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so God is ordering our steps, and I'm looking forward to saying that. But I've, sometimes we get so landlocked into our own little worlds, we just need to pop our head up every once in a while and say, God, what are you doing in the earth? I want you to know he's doing amazing things. Amen? So that'll be coming in February, but we'll be going into that in more depth. So that was for free. Um, so we've been in this series on uh, the culture of honor, and uh, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke 19. We'll be there the bulk of the time, but I want, I'm going to begin here in uh, Luke chapter 1. This is the conversation between the angel Gabriel and uh, John the Baptist's father. And uh, he, and the angel has come to Zechariah, and he's telling him all that, the, all that his son, John the Baptist, would step into. And so Luke 1, 17. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so we began last week by looking at the prophetic ministry of John the Baptist and how he came in the spirit and power of Elijah, turning, turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of children back to the father. But here's the thing, theologians say that John the Baptist actually only partially fulfilled this prophecy, meaning this, that he, he did his part in fulfilling this prophecy uh, so far as to prophesy the first coming of the Lord. Theologians also agree, though, that that this spirit and power of Elijah will come upon the church to usher in Jesus' second coming into the earth. Amen? And so what is this ministry all about? It's the ministry of, of turning the hearts of fathers back to the children, the hearts of children back to the fathers, it's, but it's not just a man thing today, okay? That it involves everyone, that it's this mutual culture of honor, that, that honor is not like this one-way street, right? It's not, well, he's the boss, I better honor him, I, you know, and he can treat me like a you know miserable peon. No, that's not it at all. Actually, what it is is that the hearts, it's, see, the culture of honor is actually heart to heart. The honor flows from me, honor flows from you. A culture of honor is mutual. And so whenever we talk about having a culture of honor, what we're talking about is the spirit and power of Elijah coming on the church, directing hearts back to hearts. That's some good stuff. I hope you're getting that. It's making me happy. I hope you can join me. But anyhow. You see, have you ever been around people that just make you feel like a million bucks? Where you go like, man, they are not here at all to take anything from me, but they are just here to to pour into my life. Whenever I think about this, I actually think of Aaron's grandmother. My goodness, she just had this ability to make you feel like the most important person in the room. I've just. There was times where I'm going like, man, can you be my grandma too? You know, I mean. So she was just so amazing. But whenever I think about a culture of honor, it's hearts being directed towards hearts for the purpose of the kingdom of God. You see, whenever Jesus told us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, and we've talked about this a whole lot over the years, right? That we're that that we are to pray the way Jesus commanded to invite the culture of heaven to invade the earth. And whenever we look up at heaven, one of the best, hugest, awesomest, this is all correct grammar, by the way, One, some of the the greatest culture, one of the greatest cultures that you see in heaven is actually a culture of honor. There's just this magnificent worship of God. I mean, all of heaven lives in perfect Um, honor with itself. It's just perfect harmony of honor. There's this honor just flows. And so if there's one virtue that we could ever invite uh, to invade the earth from heaven, it would be the culture of honor that lives in heaven would come and invade the earth. Okay? Now here's the thing. When that culture of honor invades this culture, it affects everything. It affects the way I see you, the way you see me, the way we see God. It affects all of our relationships when we grab hold of this culture of honor. And see, culture culture is the behaviors and beliefs of a certain group of people. You know, every family has a culture, right? So it's not the way we do things, right? Everybody has a culture, but what if a group of people began to have their behaviors and beliefs shaped by godly honor, that that culture that's in heaven that would invade our hearts so that all the way to the place that it impacts the way that I see everyone and how I treat them, it affects my beliefs and my behaviors. Ramifications are huge. And so, and I gave you four truths last week, and I want to repeat them again because it helps give shape to the whole framework of the series we're going through. But four truths of honor, I'm just going to go real fast here, but honor cherishes the holy. Honor cherishes the holy. And so here's a few things that are called holy. The Bible, tithe, people, authority, orphans, widows, your body. There's even moments like baptism, salvation, the preaching of the gospel, communion, all of these things the Bible talks about are holy. When I treat what he calls holy as holy, I honor him. Here's the second truth. Honor is the love language of God. Honor is how God relates. It flows from his character and identity. He just honors. That's just who he is. If you want to learn how to uh, speak God's love language, what, what speaks love to him, then you're going to walk in honor. Amen? So here's the third one, that honor attracts the favor of God. Whenever I live my life in a way that honors him, God's going to zap you with his favor. Because whenever I live a life that honors him, my life will be able to handle the favor that he would be able to, that he would want to download on us. And then fourthly, honor begins with humility. Honor begins with humility. See, I... You and I, we have to submit ourselves to Jesus' wonderful opinion of us. Well Lord, I, I I just see myself as a measly little sinner saved by grace, barely got in the door, kind of a Christian. Well you're gonna you're gonna have to let go of that opinion, and you're gonna have to embrace Jesus' opinion. And his opinion about us is wonderful. Do we have our stuff in our life? Yes. Don't we all? Right? But there's a place in there where we have to submit ourselves, our opinion, to his. And so all of that is review, really fast review, which brings us to today. The title of today's message is, is, I am because he says I am. I am because he says I am. (laughs) So let's go ahead and look at Hebrews chapter 2, just our opening text, and then I'm going to pray. Verse 9, we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned him with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So he's tasted death for everyone. The wages of sin is death, right? He's tasted death for everyone. Verse 10, here's the kicker. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. Bringing many sons, sons and daughters, those who would put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he would bring them to glory. Let's pray. So Father God, I just ask God right now, man, here in this moment, Lord, that we'd be diligent to lay down our opinions of ourselves. God, that you help us to lay down those opinions and take up yours. Father, I just pray, God, let your love, honor, and grace just fill this room, Lord, right now as we unfold your word. And God, I just pray, Father, just for the grace and momentum of heaven just to enter in right now, God. The joy of your life, God, in Jesus' name, amen. So check this out. When we are growing up, when children are growing up, they're constantly looking to parents or adult figures to figure out who they are. Children, in many ways, are asking the question, tell me who I am. Uh, So in those formative years, a a child's heart in many ways is like a blank canvas waiting for somebody to paint on it. An adult of influence, someone that they love. And, and And that adult of influence will then paint the picture on the heart of a child to help give them a sense of who they are. In the same way, according to that painting that's being painted on their heart, a child will grow up with a sense of who Jesus is or who he isn't. A child will grow up with a sense of of like this. God, if if he's even there, he's angry, he's in a bad mood, and he's full of wrath, and he's going to zap me as soon as I step out of line. And so sadly, many people grow up with that kind of painting being painted on our hearts, unsure of, how the, of who the Father is, how he sees them, and, and really in many ways, I think for many of us, we are, can be completely unaware that we are in fact the glorious children of God. If Christ be in you, then you are a glorious, royal child of God. Called to inherit all of the promises of God because all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Well, Lord, have you seen my credentials? And he goes, yes, I just see a cross. Oh, come on now, don't shout me down because that's good right there, I'm telling you. <laughs> your royalty today, your value is established. Let me just repeat. Let's look at then. this again, Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. So that, in other words, everything from Jesus in bringing many sons to glory that was part of his design, is that he would bring you to glory. And by the way, that just doesn't mean that you get to go to heaven. Now, that's a great thing, right? But there's here and now implications, okay? You see, we are really comfortable with the thought of all glory to God and and not to us. As a matter of fact, we'll sing a song, not to us be the glory, but to your name. That is a good deal. But scripture tells a a pretty deep and compelling story about who we are, that he has brought us to glory, glory as a son. Now here's the deal. It is obvious that right, it's obvious that all glory to him, right? Do we have to debate with that? I mean, that's like that's Jesus one oh one, right? That is obvious. But it doesn't mean we have to shame ourselves in order to glorify him. In other words, I don't have to treat myself like trash in order to glorify him. See, what happens is if I'm always trashing me, then I'm trashing the one whom he has died to save. And so if I have to trash me, I'm actually trampling on the work that he accomplished 2,000 years ago on my behalf. Matter of fact, he established our value 2,000 years ago with his own blood. Just about how much are we all worth? Well, cross worth. His children, us, his children, have immense value. But the problem is, is we'll look at the picture that's been painted on our hearts We'll look at our past and we'll say, no way. And we're held captive by the painting that lives in our heart. We'll sabotage ourselves because of that painting. Not knowing that our faith in Christ has painted a different reality in our heart. Folks, there is a hidden painting. I'm telling you, there is a Mona Lisa in that heart, and you you just thought you finger-painted this ugly picture of all of your past, but God, through your faith in Christ, has hidden the Mona Lisa in your heart. That's good. That makes me happy, too. So, the word glory that he's brought us into, the root word of glory is this word doka, which means opinion. the root word of, uh, you know, where we get doxology and all of these things that talk about glory, the root word is doka, which is opinion. We don't walk in the glory and honor as a son and daughter that Jesus purchased for us because my opinion is different than his. In other words, I put glory on something that he didn't put glory on. See, I put glory on my sin when he put glory on the cross. See, my opinion of myself and others is sabotaging the glory and honor He has given me as a son. Sabotaging your identity as a daughter, ladies. My horrible opinions can infect my behaviors and belief about who He says that I am. Yeah, I know God loves me, but there's no way I could ever earn his favor. I I know God loves me, but there's no way I could ever be really used by him. Yeah, I know that I've been forgiven of all of my sin, but my life in Jesus will be fairly limited because I'm not really qualified. That's a different gospel. If my opinion is held captive by a terrible painting of my past, by a terrible picture that lives on in my heart, I will sabotage all the glory he wants to pour into my life. I'll be captive of my opinion. Second, This is not in the notes, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5 says this, that we are to take every Uh, lofty thought that's raised up against the knowledge of God, we are to take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. Those thoughts that we raise up against the knowledge of God, Scripture calls it right there, a stronghold. We have this opinion that has built a stronghold in our life that we won't ever get past until we submit this terrible thinking to Jesus. I've got to take those thoughts captive and submit them to Jesus. Everything that Jesus is, everything that Jesus represents, everything that Jesus proclaimed in his life. I must see me the way he sees me. I must see others the way he sees others. So now we're in, let's go to Luke 19. It's the story of Zacchaeus. I'm just going to abbreviate and call him Zach. All right, may not help you, but it helps me uh, in my verb, my word count, so all right, or something like that. I don't know, but anyways, verse one. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector and he was rich, and he sought to see. Who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. Everybody knows the song, right? Or some of us do who went grew up going to Vacation Bible School. But uh, but Zach, he was a tax collector, and he was, and so and and so like sometimes we'll sing a song and we'll forget about the reality that was going on here. So I want, I want us to kind of, let's just toss the song for a moment and come right back here to the real-life situation. So, like, Zach, he was a tax collector and considered a traitor by all of the community, a traitor, and especially due to fraud. He stole money, and he hung out with Gentile scum. He was labeled. By the way, all of the labels were true. Verse 4, so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was going to pass that way. (laughs) Toss the song, toss the song. Anyways, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully, but when they saw it, They all complain, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man, with that man who is a sinner. And so Zach, the traitor, labeled by facts, is seen by Jesus. And Jesus says, Come. Zach comes running, begins to make his way beyond the crowd. And I believe that as he's running, Something starts to happen in his heart, and all of this exchange between he and Jesus. The call of Jesus beckoned him. The call of Jesus pulled him beyond the crowd, pulled him beyond his own opinion, pulled him beyond the opinions of others. And I can imagine that as he was bobbing and weaving through that crowd, that all these little voices going, "Ah, "Who does he think he is?" Does Jesus know who that guy is? Oh, 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 oh. So the Holy Spirit starts to flood his soul and begins to redefine his soul. Joy starts to make his way in. And you can see this starting to come out in the scriptures if you unpack it. But as he's running, something is happening. A, a smile starts to light on his face. He's, get, he's just getting happy in Jesus. And in some ways, I don't even think that he knows what's even happening in his heart as he's running, but in exchange, I believe, an exchange of opinions. All of a sudden, that call of Jesus is starting to break through some things and is starting to unearth some things. And so like a world of activity is happening in just a few steps. And it's all happening internally. The heart of Christ is turned to the heart of Zacchaeus. And the heart of Zacchaeus begins to turn to Jesus. Zach's starting to feel like a million bucks just standing next to him. Honor and love is being poured out. Verse 8. And you can see it all come. Come about right here, verse eight. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore fourfold. How does a person up in a tree, living in this place of fraud and distrust of people, one call of Jesus takes this guy up in a tree, pulls him all the way down, and he's unloading all of this stuff. All this junk begins to fall off, and he says, Lord, man, I'm telling you, I'm going to restore fourfold to anybody I've defrauded. I'm going to give it all back. So how does a a thief transform in a few steps all the way to an amazing giver? And he's just jogging Jogging transforms my life, but it's not usually good. But anyways. (laughs) Zach is running to him, and he trades all of opinions. He's captive of no one's opinion. This former man of greed and fraud becomes a dramatic giver. And suddenly, he's a source of blessing to the entire community. The people that he left destitute. See, sometimes we forget about the story within the story. There were people in that crowd that day that were poor and struggling, could not eat because of how this man had impacted their lives. And they're getting all bent out of shape for the goodness that Jesus just directed toward him, not realizing the blessing that was about to flow out of his life. See, when we have an opinion different than Jesus is about a person, we actually put a lid on that person. We put a lid on that person that he's not. It's just like there's this wall, that this, this invisible lid that, that they'll never rise above. Our judgments have terrible supernatural power. Now, we put lids on people that Jesus is not. Now, here's the deal. I'm not talking about Let me just give this disclaimer. I'm not talking about denying the facts to put yourself in harm's way. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about making a deal with a foolish person who's not trustworthy. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about any of that kind of stuff. There's a difference between removing judgments and whether or not I'll give person my trust. Okay? Okay, does that make sense? I can speak blessing and life, and I can be a prophet in someone's life. I can prophesy the will of God into someone's life, but I don't have to go into business with them. Make sense? Here's the deal. When I walk in honor, I join Christ in lifting lids off the heads of people. And whenever I lift those lids and I begin to Prophesy the opinion of Jesus over people. It's like I create open space over their head, and whenever that open space is there, then all of a sudden, people get in contact with Jesus and his will for us. just like Zacchaeus. Jesus, see, he, with, through his call, he removed the lid, and he removes the lid, and Zacchaeus rises up and becomes this amazing giver, a source of blessing the entire city. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is the son of Abraham. Say son of Abraham. Abraham. He's the son of Abraham for the son of man has come to seek and say and to save that which was lost Salvation came to his house. He was a son of Abraham. I'm going to tell you that is a loaded, loaded phrase. What was said of Abraham is that he, whenever he heard God, he believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And so here's the deal. This son of Abraham, Zacchaeus, okay, he hears the call of Jesus. And then as soon as he responds, as soon as that amen rose up in his heart, Jesus, boom, imputed righteousness to him. I'm telling you, he changed the opinion. He downloaded the opinion of heaven right into his life. He says that everybody else calls him Uh, thief. Everyone else calls him fraud. Everyone else has all this negative opinion, but then Jesus, when he responds to the call, Jesus imputes, boom, righteousness to him. How long did that take? About a jog's worth. (laughs) Jesus defined him and called him his son. Revelation one six calls us. And it'll be here on the screen. Calls us kings and priests. I want you to look to the person on your right, the person on your left. That's a king. That's a queen. Priests. <laughs> and no, we're not going to have a vote. You know. <laughs> but because of Christ in you and the amazing power of his salvation. Kings, queens, priests of the Most High. So in thinking about this story of Zacchaeus, I just want to ask you this question. Who are you in the story? Are you Zach? Do you struggle with how you see yourself? Are you captive of the painting that happened years and years ago in your heart? Are you captive of the past? Are you captive of hurts? Are you captive of wounds? Are you you captive of failures? What, What would it be for you today for you to, by faith, make a trade that you would give him your opinion of yourself to him and then take up his opinion of you? What would it be for you just to finally, finally, finally believe what Jesus says about you? Here's the deal. I know this is true everywhere, but this is really feels really true in a small town. What would it be for you to live beyond the opinions of others? Beyond the opinions and judgments of others? Man, what if we were to begin to agree with Jesus? I want you to know today, if your past... If you're like Zach today, if your past and your shortcomings are plaguing your life, I want you to know that you can be free today. You can respond to the call of Jesus and just come jogging. And you say, well, I can't just yet. I've got to fix myself up. That is a trap, okay? Zacchaeus has had no time to fix himself. And besides, your fixing is futile and in many ways just gets in the way. (coughs) Secondly, who are you in this story? Are you the accuser in the crowd? Are there people in your life you need to release and just agree with Jesus? Are there people who've hurt you that you just can't let go, they went too far? That you're actually fine putting a lid on them. And pastor, I put a lid and then I put bricks right on top of it. Is there a boulder? I'll put a boulder, you know. And I get it. I mean, I I understand. But you are not helping you. See, Jesus put this price tag. He made this really huge. He says, how can I forgive? I says, I won't forgive you unless you forgive others. That's a massive price tag. See, here's the thing. He says, "If, if, if you," he says, "I will not forgive unless you forgive." Did you know that that's that's actually something to help you? That forgiveness is for you. It's for the healing of your own heart. Here's the deal: you may not ever want to restart a relationship with that person. That would be the spirit of wisdom. That boy, he crazy, you know. (laughs) But if you don't forgive, you allow the enemy to paint a picture in your heart of your reality. Just as the cross sets you free, it even sets free the offenders. So who are you in this story? How about this? Can you be Jesus in this story? No, I ain't going to be Jesus. Huh? No. But can you be Jesus? In other words, can, would you be willing to lay down your opinions and embrace his and begin to see the gold that the Lord has deposited in people? See, there wasn't anybody on that day on the road that saw the dramatic giver in Zacchaeus. Jesus did. Only Jesus saw this profound giver named Zacchaeus that had the ability just to pour out resources on the community like no other. What would it be when, if what if what if our prayer times were consumed with instead of God make them pay, God get them, Instead of that, what if it was, Jesus, help me to see them the way you do? Because right now, I don't. All I see right now is the judgment and wrath of God that I would like for you to perform right now. How many of you know that that's an internal thing that is not easy? But I don't want to live my life hung up on my past, and I don't want anybody else to live their life hung up on their past. I don't want to live my life hung up on somebody else's past. Amen. I don't want to close sharing this story, but but and most of you know that three or four years ago we had the honor of. Uh, being foster parents to two boys, a three-year-old and a five-month-old at the time. And the three-year-old had a lot of anger and had a lot of hurt in his life. His living situation, suffice it to say, was not the best. Uh, Yanked in and out of a lot of homes. And in fostering, you are not allowed to spank, no matter how much you think they need it that you have to constantly rise to the occasion, constantly be positive, constant, constant, constant. That you are always having to put your best foot, your best action forward. Well, this one particular day, I mean, I, I was tired. You know, there's tired, tired, and then tired. I was tired. And I... Uh, this had been going on a long while, but with the three-year-old, he had a lot of aggressive tendencies at the time. And so as this one particular day, and I was, out, you know, just spent emotionally, didn't have anything left over. And it was my job that particular time to change his pull-up. Sounds simple enough, right? No. I mean, so we're here in this moment. He was, He was so angry. He would fight, he would wrestle, he would bite, and he'd scream to the top of his lungs, I hate you. And so in this, in all of his declarations of how much he hates me, I picked him up in my arms and I just told him, I'm gonna take care of you. And at that moment, the fighting. And he looked up at me and he said, you going to take care of me? I was like, you bet. And he just fell right into my arms. And the whole time I'm holding him and I'm praying and I'm thinking to myself, God, I am not like you. Because this was a sacred moment and all I was connecting to is weariness and rage. But somehow or other, the Lord intervened in that moment. In that moment, he traded his opinion for mine. That he was safe in my love, and the fighting stopped. A new painting was being painted on his heart. And the irony of that moment is that in my weakness, that the father was painting a new picture on his heart. In many ways, I think we find ourselves fighting with the opinion of the Father. Resisting who He says that we are. And these old paintings, the time gone by of just stuff, they seem too powerful. But you see, here's the thing. That little boy... Was able to easily trade opinions because he believed me that I would take care of him. You're in a really safe place, and you can trade your opinion for his. You're safe in the love of the Father, you're safe in his arms. So all of these old paintings that we carry around in our heart about who we are we can actually let them go. Our pasts are not too powerful for Jesus. They never have been and never will be. We just have to like Zacchaeus come running at his call. when he calls you say yes when he calls you son when he calls you daughter all you got to do is say yes are you willing to trade your opinions today opinions of yourself opinions of others it's been sabotaging you I really think there's three areas that um, the Lord wants to deal with, and that is this freedom from past paintings and then releasing of judgments. But I also feel like there needs to be an impartation of the Jesus' opinion. Does that make sense? So if everyone would just bow your head and close your eyes and put your hand on your heart. I just want you to come before the Lord and ask Him, Lord, is there any painting of the past? If there's anything gone on in the past, any failure that's just robbing me, would you bring it to my mind's eye, Lord, right now? Is there any pain of the past? Been injuring you, harmful to you. And so as soon as you get that picture in your mind, I want you to take your hand off of your heart and then I want you to put it in the air. If you got if you've got a picture clear in your mind of the, what that past thing is, take your hand off of your heart and just lift your hand, just so I know where you're at. Just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I release my past to you. I release my past pain to you. I give it to you. This negative opinion I have of myself. I give it to you now. Just let the Lord just take that. And put your hand back on your heart now. Lord Jesus, I embrace your opinion of me. I embrace Lord Jesus the truth of what you say about me. Open my eyes and open my eyes again that I may see the glory that you have called me to. Amen. Our altar team would come right now. I think this next area has to do with the stuff we have with other people. This next area that I want to pray over. And so here's the thing. What we're about to do is like, if there's someone in your life that you have an offense with, well, I'm about to lead you into a prayer to release them and then asking for Jesus' opinion of them. Does that sound pretty hard? (laughs) Only by the cross, right? And so I want you to just take a moment and just picture that person in your mind. If you have someone that has offended you, just bring that person to your mind's eye. And as we do this, I want you to know that forgiveness is not about feeling, but forgiveness is always about faith. That we, we forgive by faith according to His Word and what the Lord speaks. Our feelings may take a while, and that's okay, but we can forgive by faith. So, pray with me. Lord Jesus, I release this person I forgive them of their hurts, their wrongdoing, their words, and their actions, their lies, their deceit, their theft, their pain, their hurt. I forgive and release them now. Just hold that thought for a moment. Now we're going to pray and just ask for the Lord's opinion to come about that person. So Lord Jesus, help me to see that person with your eyes when with your love and forgiveness. I just hold that thought right now Thank you. Lord, Lord Jesus, from this point forward, give me the grace and ability to see with your eyes the greatness you put in people the gold you put in people train me Lord according to your word to see people the way you see them in Jesus name Amen Amen, Amen, Amen so here's the thing we went through a lot of deep stuff just this moment, and, and you may want some additional prayer. Um, and uh, I just want to invite you to come and receive more prayer if you need more prayer. If there is a need that you have today that was not addressed, something got kind of stirred in your heart, these folks are here ready and willing to pray with you. Amen? And so uh, I never want people to feel like their their particular need of that day wasn't addressed. Well, if it wasn't, Let's get it addressed here at the altar. Amen? Amen. So, Father, I thank you for these people. I pray your richest blessings upon them. Thank you, Father, for just this glorious day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed day.